0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about the customer experience with the folks that make supportability happen. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. I love
1: NetApp.
0: Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio with a very crowded mess of people here. Um, We have a lot of people here today. And the reason why is because we're going to talk about something very important to NetApp, uh, the customer experience. So to start it off, we're going to introduce who's here and we'll talk about what they do at NetApp. uh, So on my right, Matt Mercer, if you could tell everybody what you do here at NetApp and how to reach you, uh, that'd be great hey thanks justin my name is matt mercer i'm a technical director here at netapp with a focus
1: on the customer experience and supportability you can reach me at matt.mercer at
0: netapp.com you don't have any social media no twitters not at this time okay scott morris if you could do the same thing that matt just did only better only better my name is scott morris i
2: am a supportability engineer focusing on uh, nfs and san and the core infrastructure behind our cdot operating system uh, you can reach me at scott.morris at netapp.com.
0: So they gave you NFS and SAN.
2: Um, they gave how did me, that happen? They gave me SAN and then gave me NFS.
0: It sounds like it was a bad thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree necessarily. I'm just, so, just curious yeah. why you aren't the entire NAS stack. But I guess that's because we have Mr. Matt Trudwin to do that for us. So, Matt, if you could tell everybody what you do here at NetUp and how to
3: reach you. Sure, yeah. I'm a uh, staff engineer on the customer experience team along with Scott and Matt and Kunal, who you'll hear from in a second. Uh, I actually focus on SMB-SIFS supportability as well as networking, the other components of NAS, as it were, and uh, a little bit of transition, but hopefully that's about done. So, shouldn't have to worry too much about that.
0: Kunal, um, who are you? How do we find you on social media or email?
4: Hey, Justin, uh, my name is Kunal Rena. Uh I'm a staff engineer in the customer experience team uh, my focus area is data protection, metro cluster, and HCI. Uh, you can reach me at kanal.trai at nabs. Okay, so you got
0: data protection, metro cluster, and HCI. That one of those things doesn't seem to kind of fit with the others. How did you get HCI there, Kunal?
4: Well, like uh, I had uh, you know showing trust in, uh, in HCI, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of value that we can bring you know to the team based on our experiences from on tap side. So that's how I got engaged with HCI.
0: I gave you a softball. You could have talked about SnapMirror to everything. Yeah. Being able to SnapMirror from ONTAP. In
4: and it's part of yeah. the overall uh, uh, you know, data fabric infrastructure, and SnapMirror is a key component of that. Whether there we go. Now you're talking. Now, you're, now you put your marketing button. hat on. <laughs> I, have
0: to, I have to kind of whip these support, support guys into marketing shape here they're so focused on the technical aspects here and that's what we're going to cover here in the podcast today is just talking about what they do and how they enable people to use our products and support them much better not just uh the internal support but also people in the field and the customers being able to uh better support their own products so uh matt with that what is the mission of the customer experience team
1: well, Justin, it's a pretty straightforward mission. It's to be a proactive voice for the customer experience. That is, we study what our customers are doing with our products and our solutions, the successes they're having, as well as the challenges. And we use that to, to provide a, a, a feedback to our product teams to help them design and implement a better solution or product in the, in the future.
0: So when did you guys start? About how long ago was it? Like four years ago, three years ago? It was about on ONTAP 8.2. Yeah, I seem so. to remember that it was about when it started. I can't remember what year that was. Yeah, and I real, and really what, what it, the impetus was, was we wanted to make sure that the quality of the product matched the supportability and vice versa. So we had a team uh, created to try to implement that and make sure that everyone was successful. Uh, we wanted to ensure success for everyone using it and supporting it, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Our team was actually formed from customer support itself. We all have experience as tech support engineers and escalations engineers. And at the time, we were in the midst of this pivot, this transition from ONTAP 7G to clustered mode. And we wanted to make sure we could get that cluster mode experience on par or better than what we had with 7G.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the goal really was better than, and I think that's we're getting there uh, slowly but surely. And I think in some aspects we are we are already there. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about some of the things you guys have done to do that. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring you in is because nobody really knows you exist. <laughs> that means I mean, we're doing our job. It means you're doing your job, but it also <laughs> I want to highlight what the work you guys do because people need to know that there are initiatives going on behind the scenes that they may not be aware of to make the product better overall, not just from a features perspective but also from being able to support it and, and you know, do everyday tasks. So let's highlight some of the things that you have done over the last few years for ONTAP uh, from a supportability perspective. So let's talk about some of the initiatives, Scott.
2: One of our um, early initiatives was the Name Services Resiliency uh, effort that we uh, put into starting around 8.3. Um, we noticed that there were some some issues and some challenges that customers were seeing around their their large infrastructures um, their, and their supporting infrastructure for OnTap, things like the name services and Active Directory. So we started cool. analyzing um, what was going on in the field, and we took some of the experiences out of out of uh, some some of our larger enterprise sized customers, and we rolled those those findings into the upcoming releases, um, the later eight point three releases. So starting in, in around eight three two, we started building in some uh, resiliency features. Um, uh, hardening to the, the things that we were seeing in the field. Um, the latencies that uh, ONTAP could smooth over and, and the retries that we could uh, build in um, just just to kind of help those those hiccups within the network infrastructure go away. And we, we quickly learned that uh, the, they were masking some, some deeper issues within NFS and SIFs uh, And we began to see uh, vast improvements in quality from the perspective of the end users
0: yeah and I mean really I think the biggest uh, asset you guys provide is accountability because I remember from support days we'd file BERTs and they would get pushed and pushed and pushed because there was no one really advocating for them to get fixed from a supportability standpoint because from engineering's perspective the priority BERTs were the disruptions or the features they weren't so much the you know this is how we support the product so that was kind of getting ignored for lack of a better term. So the team that you guys formed provided a sense of accountability, a priority on these particular feature sets so that we get things like name service resiliency.
2: And we could take uh, all of our case data, all of our, um, in addition to the to the Burts that we know are in the field, um, searching through, um, trying to really get a handle on what the customer's pain points are, uh, even to the point that we were um, engaging directly with the customer's uh, L1 help desk and figuring out what their point pain points were. And we were able to, to actually build some documentation around that about how they could take that and step-by-step step come through all of the, the different levels of supportability that we've built into the product and and, and fix those issues before even coming to our, our L1 or L2 help desk here at,
0: at uh, NetApp. So how are you guys gathering that data? I mean, it's probably not something that you do on a manual basis, is it? You're not going through each individual case and grabbing case numbers and stuff. You have you have something there that's a little better, right? Well, it started uh, with, with spreadsheets. And yes, I know, I know. That's why I try to get it, you to talk about A the, lot of manual analysis. Yeah, it was a lot. So let, how did you fix that and make it better?
1: Well, first we distributed it out to a, a large number of people. In the manual days, we set goals and objectives to analyze so many cases in different technology areas. And with partnering with engineering, the teams that actually do the development, we were able to convey both the sense of the challenges our customers have, but also derive the top topics, if you will, where customers had challenges. And that's one of the ways we identify these um, DNS, LDAP, and Active Directory problems.
0: Are you doing any sort of automation, like scripting or anything on the back end, or is it just still a, kind of a manual process that you spread across multiple people? Well,
1: today we, we leverage some metadata that is associated with every case that help us identify the topics with some level of uh, accuracy. It's not 100%, but it's good enough to at least zero in on, say, everything dealing with SMB SIFS or everything dealing with
3: NFS. Yeah, the smb SIFS is a good example of that, right? Um, because we took a look at the, what a lot of the trends were in the cases that we were seeing and f- saw things like um, smb SIFS setup permissions and kind of dove into those areas. You know, we'd read the case notes for that particular area, some of the cases, not all of them. You know, we'd target them, and we kind of saw what some of the problems were there, and it was more about the complexity of the, the protocol, right? How many things does SIFS touch? F policy, vscan, it's a lot more user uh, focused than say NFS is traditionally, right? Um, And so some of the things that came out of that um, security trace filter improvements. So for example, in 9.3, if you have a file lock causing you an issue, or if you have vscan blocking a file access issue, or f policy, uh, security trace filter will tell you that now. And it didn't prior, you know, to to us looking at that and seeing that complexity there. Um, so that's that's an example of where we found a trend and we actually got a product change into on tap. Um, of course, when we found this out, this was well before nine point three was set to come out, right? So one of the things we did is, what can we do now with what we have to make it better? So we looked at the documentation. Um, this is where we worked with uh, support pretty closely with the uh, guided problem solving, which you guys have talked about here in the past, and. We, we said, well, which articles do we need to bump up there? What do we need to change to make it more um, useful and either easier to uh, figure out these complexities early on?
0: So you're tying into the Elio infrastructure stuff, like the, the automated support tasks, right?
3: Yeah, we work with that team as well. And then a lot of the trends that come out of Elio, we actually try to see um, are those things that should go into product changes as well or does it need documentation updates? So we work pretty closely with uh, those guys.
0: Yeah, and I mean, before when you wanted to figure out what the most, I guess, the, the top cases were, you kind of had to do anecdotal evidence, right? You go through and ask people, hey, what's what's the thing that you're seeing the most? And I remember from my days, SIFS was always like the PC user mapping, right? <laughs> yeah. So so that kind of stuff is easy enough to automate and simplify. Um, but when it comes to permissions, SecTrace is going to allow you to do that you know, even even more uh, seamlessly than before, because you know, prior to that, you had to do a lot of manual steps. You had to use a lot of different commands. You had to figure out who is mapping to who, et cetera, et cetera. Sectrace automates all that for you, gets that information out, and, and gives you a better place to start from for that that access problem, right? Yep. So, what about data protection? Uh, what did we implement for something like MetroCluster or that sort of thing?
4: So, uh, the the challenge for MetroCluster was a, a bit different, um, in the sense like. You know, customers were used to seven mode Metro Cluster and it was a new product we were releasing in with cluster on tap. So so what we wanted to do was to make sure that the behavior is consistent, moving from seven mode to C mode, and give them the same you know level of flexibility and simplicity from a overall solution perspective. Uh, you know, we started working early on during the product lifecycle. We engaged with the with the product teams to make sure that we can influence and simplify the configuration as well as the overall operation of the metro cluster, right? Uh, so, a couple of things came out of it. Uh, one was the configuration part, where you know we use pre-checks, guided the, syst- uh, the end user to the next steps. Uh, you know, if they did something wrong, we p- highlighted the message right in front of them, so that you know it's kind of like an intuitive process and make it simpler to configure. The second thing that we focused on was you know once you set up the metro cluster. How do we validate the configuration and the um, and the state of the components, right? So we spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about like what components should be checked at what interval, and if there's a problem, like how do we bring it in front of the admin itself without engaging support, right? Uh, so there was that aspect to it. The other aspect was, you know, if something happens, how do we engage the customer proactively without them knowing that you know there is an issue? Uh, so, a lot of work went into that. Uh, it, include, in, it included, like, you know, we working with the tools team, uh, product teams, you know, management, uh, like the system manager team to make sure that we have the whole ecosystem for the customer to help them out. And is this tying into the new metric cluster of IP functionality as well? Is that kind of brought in with it? Is it easy to kind of implement as well? Yes. So. One thing we made sure was, you know, when we release MetroCluster IP, the command set is consistent with what customers are used to with the cluster on tap, MetroCluster, uh, and uh, we we followed the same basic guidelines on how do we make it simpler and easier for customers to use, and both from a configuration operation as well as troubleshooting perspectives.
3: Yeah, one of the cool things um, that happened with MCCIP and kind of the value of our team is Kanal. When he found out about this, he said. Hey Matt, I've got some you know, MCC IPs coming out. It's going to be a lot more networking focused. Would you mind taking a look at some of the networking pieces? And because I, you know, that's where I've specialized in, and so we were able to um, be a little more cross-functional and and take a different look at that to make sure we had the supportability that we needed for that product in there.
0: Wow, you truly are a team. <laughs> so um, I noticed that most of you have mentioned configuration, and I. I it's striking because, again, that's one of the mm-hmm. biggest case generators we've had. So, um, can any of you want to take a stab at the mm-hmm. overall ballpark percentage of configuration created cases? I'm, I'm guessing you probably know that off the top of your mm-hmm.
4: head. So, I can probably talk to this from a SnapMirror perspective, right? Like, you know, we have a high attach rate of like SnapMirror for the systems in the field. Uh, one thing we found that like more than like. Ballpark number, like say, 50% of the cases that came in were all config-related. Uh, it's not like you know it was difficult to configure, but you know users had to read the documentation and follow it uh, without making any you know mistakes. So what we started doing, we we start looking at guided uh, setups, right? How do we enable the end user or the admin to create a data protection relationship at the time of you know provisioning their primary storage? And then we work through different workflows, like you know, give them the the default options as standard, and if they want to deviate from that, because 90% of the use cases, you know, customers go with the default, uh, you know, uh, uh, options for SnapMirror, so that drove you know a lot of discussion around you know what should go in guided setup. Like we, you know, went through wireframes after wireframes to make it easier or simpler for the the admin to configure SnapMirror.
0: Yeah, and if you've been in System Manager any time the last couple of releases, you'll notice that when you create a volume, you have the ability to go ahead and create your snap mirror right there in a single page. And they've tried to reduce the number of clicks it takes from the GUI to create a snap mirror. Now, if you're still uh, you know a CLI, old school guy, you're still going to take a few more steps. But you know we found that most people that use a CLI are going to be more likely to read the documentation or more likely to use the tab completion you know, and figure things out on their own. But if you're just trying to get it done, uh, System Manager is a great place to go and do that. So, what about um, the MCC switchover? Did you mention
4: that at all? Uh, no. So, like I said, like you know, uh, we were looking at like how do we uh, simplify the operation of the metro cluster, right? So, one of the things which is a great advantage over seven mode is a one command switchover and switchback operation. So, you can have your DR site up and running, you know, by just issuing like one of the commands. Uh, and and uh, Customers love it uh, because it's easier to use. And, uh, you know, you just run the switchover command and it gives you zero RTOs, zero RPO recovery times uh, for business continuity.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest complaints in the early days of CDOT was the complexity and the number of commands you had to issue to do simple tasks. And even, you know, more recent versions, things like troubleshooting permissions you know, you're running like six or seven commands just to figure out what cache something lives in. So that's that's all changing. That's getting better. Uh, name service resiliency is doing that. The global name service cache is helping along with that as well. We covered that in a podcast previously as well. Um, another thing that we really want to focus on when we're talking about simplicity is the actual upgrade of the system. Um, so what are you guys doing to help drive that discussion and make the upgrades easier?
2: So the A, a and D U feature, the automated uh, non-strumptive upgrade feature, came about, um, what was it? I think it was eight, eight out three. Eight, yeah. uh, each iteration has, you know, small improvements, makes uh, um, better. Uh,
0: easier, faster, easier, fewer clicks, yeah.
2: right? Right. Um, I'm trying to come up with the right word. Creature comforts, it's um, ease of use. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so easy a
2: caveman could do it. Right. Um, and a batch into you was, was something that, that we tried for a little while. For the minor minor end to use, um, you know, th- things that just make it a little bit easier to use on tap. And one of one of the interesting things coming in in um, nine that we've wanted for a very long time is is an easier way to get the uh, image onto the box. Yeah, a lot of people have been asking for this. Well, guess what? Yeah, it's, it's there
0: now. Yeah, so it's it's funny because like when I saw that, I wanted to add it to like the main. You're, SI, the, you're it, welcome. You're welcome. The main tech team deep dive presentation I was like, yeah, we really need to talk about this. It's a major feature because people will love it, but it's like at the same time, it's like, well, but it's not it exactly. It should have been there for a while.
2: Sorry, but you're
0: thank you. But yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, that sorry. and like, it's not like.
2: Sorry,
1: but you're welcome. It's not like you sell on tap because right. of that. You're like,
0: hey, we can upgrade, upgrade from the
1: laptop. Yeah, Maybe. now just push the image yeah. to any node on the cluster. And let the and cluster manage replicated. the process from there. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And this is all done through the in, the integrated HTTP portion of the system manager utility, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, one of the steps that you had to take to do that was to move system manager on box. We couldn't do this necessarily if we had it off box because it'd be a lot harder to get that interface in there, I would imagine. Yes, very much so. Right. Cool. So uh, what else are we doing for for upgrades in ONTAP 9.4? I know there's one more thing. I'm, I'm going to see if you know it. Was it the three-step, one-click upgrade? Basically the one-click yeah. upgrade stuff? Is that, isn't that? that an ONTAP 9.4? is not, uh,
2: not. That wasn't you guys? Not clicking any uh, memory okay. switches
0: for me. Anyway, you can upgrade ONTAP non-destructively, one-click. It does all the automated tasks for you. So making it even easier to upgrade your cluster, um, not even have to watch it anymore, just do it and go home. Some people won't go home because they're terrified of um, upgrades. Uh-huh. But Well, yeah. do it in the middle of the day now, right? Yeah, I mean it's non-disruptive. Yeah, in production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it around lunch. I do. I do my upgrades in production, but I'm also running a lab. <laughs> <laughs> production lab. No, you do it right before you go home, right? Yep. And then you go home, and then on the oh, way to the right before you go to vacation. Yeah, it's right... fine. It's, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, we joke, but fine. I mean, this, these are like the Murphy's Law things, right? <laughs> Basically, it, it doesn't matter what vendor you're using, just. You always want to plan for your upgrades, even if they say that you can do non-disruptive. It's always good to watch it, make sure you're available in case something doesn't go right for you. But uh, anyway, so how are you influencing the product life cycle with this particular organization?
2: Let's go forward with the same, same thing. So A and du we we have a we have a roadmap. We have a, um, a features that we're looking to build into the next release and the release after. They kind of build on each other and kind of complete a picture when they're done. Complete hands off upgrades um, curated upgrades from active i q these are the things that we're we're contemplating and we're designing right now
0: so I think about the little you remember watching Bob Ross, the happy little trees guy mm-hmm. and you'd watch him paint and like at the beginning it'd just be like a bunch of little lines little blobs and by the end of the painting it's like this beautiful Thomas Kincaid picture right that's basically I think what I think of when you talk about building out the overall exactly. Uh, feature set here. You guys are the Bob Ross of this of this organization. <laughs> you don't have the hair for it. I don't, I don't have the hair anymore. N- none of you have the hair for it. No. But um, oh, the joy of painting on tap features. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, on tap nine four, you touched on a little bit with the uh, software image upload. What other on tap nine four initiatives did you know, did you have? You mentioned that nine four isn't a huge payload, but let's talk about what we do have. I, I'm really excited about cloud volumes. Oh, I'm tell really us about cloud, about cloud
2: volumes. You look excited. This is going to be. This is going to be huge, I huge. huge, huge, huge. Uh, it gives customers a new flexible way to use uh, use OnTap in the cloud, and hope they might not even know it's OnTap in the background. I don't even know.
0: So, if you're not familiar with cloud volumes, it's basically being able to run storage in the cloud that's basically managed by the cloud provider. Um, how is the supportability looking on that type of thing? Like, what are you guys doing? Is it going to be identical to OnTap today, or is it something that you have to do different to support it? It's
2: well, basically you're the same.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, are you telling me that ONTAP the is
2: ONTAP? The
1: customer's not going to have to support it. It's going to be done but somebody, somebody has else. to. That's the best part about that's cloud volumes. Right? You just consume storage. Yeah. G- the give, the me customers volume, not have give me give me 100 terabytes, yeah. and then go to town.
0: Somebody's yeah. got to support it, though. The cloud is just someone else's computer. Yeah. So, right.
3: <laughs>
1: so, so the beauty is that,
2: that our team is plugged in and working heavily with the with the infrastructure team that's going to be running the, the ONTAP instance in the back. So we're going to be plugged into everything they see. We're going to be able to pull um, supportability features into those releases and and really make that transition and make that product seamless for the end user. They'll never know that when the end you happens. They'll be upgrading. They'll never know. It, it'll just work.
0: It'll just work. Uh so. <clears throat> ONTAP has got a lot of uh, functionality, but we also have a new release of uh, HCI coming. So, Kanal, can you tell us what the supportability group is doing for the HCI releases?
4: So uh, for HCI, uh, you know, we just recently got engaged. Uh, so we're still working on the roadmaps with the, the product teams. Uh, there's a certain trend that we are already seeing and the feedback that we are getting back from the customers. So our focus in the next release is to, you know, incorporate some of that feedback uh, and make the product you know simpler to use, uh, that's where we are at this point.
0: Yeah, and really that's the key for NetApp HCI is the simplicity because that's yeah. what the selling point is, being able to use it no matter what you do, who you are. It's supposed to be very easy to use, very simple to consume. So that'll be a very important role for you guys in the future. Um, I'm going to ask you some... Are you guys something,
2: Scott? Yeah, I want to go back to something you mentioned yeah. earlier about our um, case, case trends and, and how we look at data and we're slowly becoming data scientists, so we're looking at at a plethora of of data sources and trying to pull out themes, trends, and actionable um, actionable stories that we can take into the into on take to the product managers, take to the engineering teams, and have them drive for us good supportability outcomes.
4: So, what sort of
0: tools are you using in your data scientist roles? Um, anything from
1: Auto-support. So, auto-support all day long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and auto-support resides on basically what is a data lake, and it's basically right. moved yeah. from E-Series over to ONTAP, and it's using right. the data pipeline. We talked about about that with I, it's Active It's using IQ. a lot of our yeah. own
2: products, uh, and we're, um, we're able to query against the, a large amount of customer data and use that to drive um, improvements into the product.
3: Yeah, yeah, what this helps us do, too, is we talked about case trends earlier in and, and, you know, data mining. It helps us really see uh, where the actual large problems are, right? We don't want to necessarily put in a supportability improvement that not many people are going to benefit from. So this lets us really zero in on what the high-impact supportability areas are. Uh, and that's another tool in the, in the, in the toolbox. Yep.
4: To, to As
1: a tool, though, it, it's incredibly comprehensive in, in what it gives us the ability to see. So if we... We uncover a trend with our, our cases. You might see four or five cases, and from that you'll get a symptom. Maybe it's a an error message or some other combination of configured values. We can go to the data lake and query every customer system that sends us an auto support for that week or that day to determine if there's a, a broad exposure or, or a common common configuration that could otherwise uh, result in a case, right? so. With, without that data lake, we we would never be able to service the entire install base proactively.
4: Yeah, I, I guess like uh, you know what the focus of the team is 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 basically like you know when we look at something, we the first thing that we try to do is like is this in, something that the system can avoid itself, right? If not, then the next step is how do we enable the customer to solve the issue on their own? Give them enough information so that they can make a an informed decision. And solve the issue, right? Uh, if that's something like you know the customers can't do, then do we have the right set of logs or information to make that determination, right, uh, at a support center level? Um, and the last step is like you know if we run into an issue which could be because of a bug or something else, then do we have do we collect the right amount of information, you know, from auto support or other methods to enable our development teams to solve that issue for the customer? Uh, th- I think that's where the trend analysis and the data mining that you know this team does plays and influences uh, a lot of you know similar decisions around requirements. So, how are you
0: communicating these particular findings to customers? You know, how do, how do we let people know? Is it just like you know nebulous emails, or you know, how do you do it? It's one of our main methods of communication
2: uh, when we come across an issue that that we need to really make a customer aware of. is called a uh, customer support bulletin or CSB. Um, there's two main methods of communication. There's an entire section of, of the knowledge base that's dedicated to support bulletins. And there's a section, and um, we have a proactive communication method, which uh, we will reach out to customers directly via email if, and give them a copy of the support bulletin. And one of the ways we determine if they're uh, exposed to a particular issue is through through our vast uh, uh, data within the data lake. So we're able to access assess, assess uh, exposure through that um, using our our data lake ca- capabilities.
0: So basically you send out a bulletin based on what oh. you see in the data lake and you make sure that the information is relevant and applicable so we don't just flood people w- with spam.
2: Exactly. We It's a targeted, uh, targeted Tar- support. Targeted
0: spam. Targeted support
2: bulletins is, huh. is what we call it. So if we determine that your system is, is exposed to a certain issue that we uh, proactively communicate.
0: So if you get those, don't delete them. Read them. Right. Because they may have some very important information in there.
2: And, and one interesting change that's coming back to the KB, and unfortunately we lost this ability uh, recently in the past, but soon we'll be able to subscribe to the area of the support bulletin area of the knowledge base. So when a new support bulletin is published, you can be notified through the, through the KB instead of uh, us directing email to, whether it be whatever you've subscribed, whether it be a, an NNG or a, a DL or a, a couple of admins, email addresses, you can receive notifications through the knowledge base
0: instead. No RSS feeds? I believe that's coming too. Nice. Yes. Sweet. That'll be nice for people that are nerdy. Right. <laughs> cool. Email. Who wants email? Yeah, email. It's just some RSS What's feeds going on Never here. Heard of that. I'll get my BBC chat. we all set. All right. So there's a tangent to... Tangent. ...customer support bulletins. Okay. Bring me the tangents.
1: In ActiveIQ, we have a risk signature Ooh. analysis... These risk signatures are, are developed and derived from the same data lake data we use for, for CSBs. Typically for less severe situations, they could be uh, suboptimal configurations, what we call best practices, or they could be uh, uh, something on the horizon. like a
0: So this is basically kind of an evolution of what at- at-risk systems was, right? Where basically we would analyze auto-support, see where the error messages were. Right. Uh, send proactive information to customers so before they even had to open a case, we could tell them, hey, your firmware is out of date. Please upgrade it or, you know, face the consequences in our wrath.
2: And during the development of these, we use the data lake to, to figure out the this, the things we need to look for that we're going to alert on. And that's our team contributes heavily to ARS, to the risks. What were they called? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, Active IQ risks, yeah. Active yeah. IQ risks, formerly yeah. at-risk And, and you can
0: get all that through your Active IQ landing page. It'll tell you right there what systems are at risk, how many systems are at risk. Very nice little gooey, bright red error messages saying, hey, warning, you may have an issue here. Check it out. Um, that way you're not chasing your tail and trying to figure out where everything is. It's just right there for you
1: absolutely it's the fir- it's the first stop i if every storage administrator check this on a regular basis at least monthly
0: can you I, can I, you configure auto, uh, like basically alerts from active iq to tell you that this stuff is happening yes i believe you can Excellent. And if you can't, there's also On Command Unify Manager that does that, too. And you can
3: certainly uh, turn them off. Sometimes there's best best practice ones uh, for certain environments. And in your environment, you might be fine with not following that best practice. And so if it annoys you, you may turn
0: the alert off.
4: And customers can now even acknowledge some of these alerts so that they don't have to look at those again.
0: (laughs) Good. And I used to, like, when I was doing administration, I would just basically ignore everything because it was just annoying. But now it actually has useful information, right?
3: That's actually a good segue to some of the work we've done with EMS.
0: Oh, let's talk about that then.
3: Yeah. So um, our entire team actually had an effort to look at the uh, event message system in tap, And, uh, and actually, we, we have two parts to it. Um, as new EMS events are created today, part of the review process is it goes through our team to make sure that the event is customer actionable and relevant. And uh, outside of that, we actually had an effort uh, a few years ago now to make sure that all the current EMS events in what at the time was CDOT were also customer actionable and valuable. And um, also as part of that, uh, we made sure to go ahead and get the EMS event catalog published on uh, the NetApp support website, just a little easier to, to find it through searching. Um, you can certainly see all of those events in ONTAP itself. But just by adding on the support website, sometimes it's a little easier to find what you're looking for when you get an event like that.
1: Yeah, so the the event messaging system, we simplified the severities. Uh, I think we reduced them from seven down to four? Yeah. Three. No, five. Five. So, a- eight to five. We, eight, we cut out three, three levels of severity. Three, three, three. Uh, the top three severity levels being customer actionable on different timelines. Emergency, take action now, right? Alert, and then error. I'll, and you can delay those out to your next maintenance window if you'd like. Did notice make the cut? Notice made the cut. Yeah, c- notice c- is still oh! in. A bit, but it, warning's gone. Info so. went yeah.
0: away. Info it, went away? Yeah, warning yeah. and info went away. It's notice right, now. At least info went away, because notice and info were useless.
1: <laughs> Continue. So, yeah, we made them one, and it makes it a lot easier to under, understand the, the spread of them. Part of this, we included um, a new notification subsystem. So we take those top three severities that are actionable, and, and ONTAP wants to email you or post to your RESTful service or send you an SNMP trap or one of a couple of other things, your syslog server. It'll send you a notice saying, I had this event, here's what it means, and here's what you need to do about it. Every one of them has a corrective action.
0: That's good, because sometimes they would have the error in they wouldn't tell you what to do about it. Now so. they do. Now they do. Now they do. Do they reference you to things like KBs or TRs at any point?
3: Actually, sometimes, yeah. We'll say, say search the knowledge base for, right? It doesn't have the direct article link. Yeah. Just but a future proof against
0: URL mm-hmm. age. That's probably yeah. a good call there. Yeah. Could you not use it as like a search string as your link? Like, you know, kb.netup.com, then search fields. Again, yeah, you're dependent on what's behind the search engine. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the event name should turn up a
1: result.
3: Right. And that's yeah. that's basically a search for the event.
0: You'll find it. Can you just use let me Google that for you links?
3: <laughs> that's a good idea. We should do that. should
2: yeah. totally do
0: that. <laughs> that 9.7 be. feature coming up. Yep. There you go. LMGTFY support. <laughs> All right. Anything else, guys?
1: Just
3: the... Some of the so, tools we use for supportability, right? Yeah.
1: Our, our, our larger organization uses um, the voice of the customer through a variety of means, right, mm-hmm. to to hear what our customers are telling us more directly. Um, we have the Insight to Action uh, website. We also have support surveys that get sent out with every case, or almost every case, depending on how many cases you open. We don't want to spam you. These these tools do give us a lot of feedback, and we do appreciate everything our customers have to tell us. Yeah,
2: we are listening, whether you believe it or not. We are listening, and we are acting on the things that you say.
0: So what is Insight uh, to action. Action. What, what website is that, and what does it
3: do? What it does is pretty cool. Um, it basically allows you to join a panel where we're going to ask you questions. And I did a recent one for SIFs, shocking, I know. And uh, it was basically about SIFs setup and how uh, what your experience with it is versus whether you set it up in System Manager or CLI, and which OnTap version you're running. And this is another way for us to get data, right? And so I had about 94 respondents to this uh, panel that customers signed up for. And a lot of times they actually do give away uh, gift cards on there too. So definitely we'll we'll include the, the details. You can include that, I think, how to sign up for the insight actions in your show notes probably. Um, so we'll have information on that. But basically I got information out of it from uh, what that experience was like for the setup. And I plan to use that information to uh, influence
0: future product changes. So it's not one of those surveys where, like, you get it and it's basically just useless and you throw it away. It actually gets put into action and used to create better experiences, Absolutely. better customer experiences, I might add. Absolutely. See, yeah. I tied that around full circle.
1: Yeah. The panels actually give us an opportunity to do deeper research on the trend we identify in our cases. As as Matt said, we saw it set up as a, as a real challenge in our case notes, um, and, and we came up with ideas around that. And then we use the panel to test those ideas out to see which ones would give us the most traction.
0: All right. So insight to action and customer surveys are two ways to uh, get more information or give more information. Is there anywhere else we can find more information about what you are doing or what has come out? Or is that just kind of like baked into
3: the pie? Sometimes it's in release notes. But if you don't notice it, then it's really doing its job. There you go. Yep.
0: All right. Matt, Scott, Kanal, and... Matt. <laughs> Forgot there's two Matts here. I was like, wait a minute. I know his name. We're the Matts team. There's yeah. two Matts. ah oh, just name that connection. Boy, I'm good. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the podcast and talking about all the things you're working on in terms of supportability with the customer experience team. Again, uh, if we want to reach you, how do we do that? Matt Mercer. Matt. Mercer at NetApp.com. Scott Morris.
3: Scott.Morris at NetApp.com. This is good. This is good. Kunal.
4: Kunal.Rena at NetApp.com. And Matt Trudwin.
0: Matt.Trudwin and NetApp.com. Is that the one you want? Yeah, there we go. All right. (laughs) Uh All right, so if you want to reach out to them and give them some ideas of what you think might be good in supportability, I'm sure they'll be happy to take it under consideration. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Matt Mercer, Matt True, and Scott Morris, and Kunal Reina for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me
4: that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.